Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Nation. Trace Trolko here. Welcome to the Sons of UCF Live. It is the end of the road for men's soccer. We have some reaction. Which Knights might get selected in next year's NFL draft? We speculate. And men's and women's tennis rack up the awards. Let us welcome in the Sons of UCF. Adam and Mike, gentlemen, how are we this evening? I'm good, Trace. I felt over underdressed recently, so I, I broke out the tie for the show tonight. Uh, I feel like a banker in this. Trace and I... Uh, we got the same shirt on. That never happens. I got the memo. Yeah. I don't know. What's going on here? I didn't get the, did I not get the memo or what happened there? I got I the tie, though. I mean, that I, I can't keep up with you guys in your fashion. I mean, Mike last week broke out, um, you know, a fantastic draft suit. Trace may or may not have been selling vacuums. We're, we're not. It's unclear <laughs> at this point. So I figured the tie was necessary. I, I got to keep up with the HR guidelines are on the show these days. It feels a little that weird a, doing the show without the sunglasses. Like so. <laughs> is you that a taller. t-shirt, though? Are you wearing it a tie t- with a t-shirt? <laughs> I know. I feel like a banker in this, don't I? I know. It just, it just, it's, but, you know, I didn't want to get too dry. I wasn't sure the vibe tonight. I didn't know white shirts were the thing. I mean, I apologize. You're supposed to be the captain of this ship, man. So let's get it, straighten it up here. Mm. Uh, well, gentlemen, uh, let us lead with men's soccer. If uh, you missed, say, the first 30 seconds, uh, you know, it was it was all that it needed to, to, to watch there. UCF turned it over early and often, uh, giving up a, a couple of goals in the first half, losing to uh, the second seed, Pittsburgh Panthers, 4 nothing. UCF uh, back-to-back Sweet 16s. They are out, shut out 4 nothing today, uh, and that was a tough one. 23 seconds for the first goal. Uh, that that is a rough way to start. It's so tough, Trace, because, I mean, we're going to hear it later on when we, when we hear from Coach Calabrese, but you look at the score line, you look at 4-0, and you say to yourself, oh, my goodness, you know, what a disappointment. But it uh, it doesn't do justice for the season these guys had. It's, it's, a, it's a tough result when you lose a game like this. The reality was UCF wasn't really in it from 23 seconds throughout the other you know, 89 minutes and whatever the difference would on that would be. 
Um, and that's unfortunate because it doesn't underscore the season they had. But Pitt, Pitt's a fantastic program. It's a it's a great team. Uh, we ran into a bus lot today, and it happens from time to time. Disappointing for the guys, but overall, from where they were at one and three to where they ended up, I still think it's a favorable season. Although today probably feels a little bit like a, a sour taste. Four nothing in soccer. That's the equivalent to what, like seventy two nothing in football. <laughs> that's a blowout. I always joke around that one nothing is an, a blowout, insurmountable lead. This game was over within the first minute. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, disappointing ending to a pretty good season. The guys that played well. Another conference championship. Thrilling games there in the tournament at the end. We win a first-round matchup. Can't get past Pitt. Hopefully, I mean, maybe Pitt goes on and Pitt wins the whole thing. That that make you feel a little bit better about it. If Pitt goes out and gets blown out in their next game, then how good were we? Well, Pittsburgh's one of the top scoring teams in the country. In their first match, they won 6-1. to one. So in two matches, 180 minutes of soccer, uh, they have scored 10 goals. I don't know whether that's the equivalent of, what was it, four goals is 72 points, but you get the idea. They're high scoring. Um, and, uh, you know, no disrespect. That's a quality team in Pittsburgh. I asked Coach Calabrese just a short time ago. The match ended about five. We didn't get to talk to Coach Calabrese uh, for more than an hour uh, after the game, if there were some nerves, if it was perhaps the you know just the moment uh, was a little overpowering to his guys, and he said, "Nah, not really." Oddly enough, I didn't feel the nerves of the team. I I felt we were really brave in in different moments. Um, that I think if we were nervous, we would have we, we we just would have dumped the ball. You know, we we wouldn't have even taken the chance. So I don't know. Um, I don't know what it was. Uh, I, I felt nervousness. I thought we were more nervous playing SMU in the semifinal than we were today. I felt we looked really confident today. Um, and, uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe overconfident in some of those moments where we, where we look to hold the ball and play. Um, but I, I also don't, the, the scoreline is what it is. That that's what happened. Um, but I also don't think in the balance of play that that scoreline reflects the game. Um, it, it, it's, it's an unfortunate, unflattering scoreline. Um, and I think, I think it very easily could have been incredibly a, a very different game. UCF outshot Pittsburgh 17 to 11. Shots on goal, UCF led in that one 10 8, but four go in for the Panthers, none for the Knights. I mean, you appreciate uh, Coach Calabrese's optimism that this could have been a different game. Um, and certainly uh, it's interesting. He, he said maybe the team was overconfident. I mean, I, I wonder how much that played a role in it, if that played a role at all. Um, I, I mean, it's a raw emotion, right? I mean, he's talking to you guys, what, 30 minutes after a, a game that ends this season, maybe hasn't had time to fully look at tape and understand what happened. Again, it sucks because you're going to look at this and going to go, oh, my goodness, look, the team fell apart and what a what a horrible result. And it's going to it's going to, you know, sort of put a black mark on the rest of the year they had. And that's unfortunate because it really shouldn't. Um, I mean, the team battled to where they got to. Pittsburgh is a, it's a good team. Uh, it's it's one of those losses that while it stings, it's one of those. Yeah, you continue to hopefully hold, hold your head high. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked about the soccer program, Trace. I, I feel like that that team. Uh, um, maybe more so than almost any team, the arrow is pointing in that in that right direction, right, pointing that upward trajectory. Uh, and you can't you can't discount that. Although you know today again, kind of the bitter the bitter taste in the mouth from the loss. You mentioned our shots on goal versus theirs. I didn't get a chance to watch the game. Was the Pittsburgh goalie making outrageous saves, or were they just kind of routine straight to him shots? Yeah, they didn't get a good uh, foot on the ball. There weren't really any close uh, shots that you felt like UCF could have scored a goal. It was really the difference, though, was the, was the turnovers that led to fairly easy goals for Pittsburgh. And uh, the rest of the play, as, as Coach mentioned, uh, you know, UCF uh, moved the ball uh, well. It was just those mistakes in their back end there that, uh, you know, you just can't overcome against a quality team like Pittsburgh. Number one seed Clemson knocked out in penalty kicks by Marshall. And uh, so we may have seen a possible national champion in Pittsburgh. And I guess that's what you root for now if UCF's going to lose, uh, lose to uh, the, the national champions. But, you know, you see this with volleyball. Uh, you see it with soccer. Boy, the, the degrees of difference with recruiting, right? Uh, you know, you can be a, a Sweet 16 team. You can be an NCAA tournament team. But how do you, how do you get all the way to the end and win? Uh, and it's going to come down to recruiting. 
so a good season. They started off one and three. Uh, nothing to uh, hang their heads about, but uh, you just you'd like to have seen a better played game in terms of uh, fewer mistakes. Switching to the other football, uh, UCF Athletics yard sale Saturday uh, at the Bounce House begins at one o'clock. Did you see some of these prices? Uh, I think folks were speculating uh, about what things might cost. Uh, you know, a helmet maybe a hundred dollars, and, and uh, UCF equipment on Twitter said that they expect helmets to go for. For six hundred dollars, so Mike, is that uh, two, three, four uh, in your budget? <laughs> no, it's zero. I told you I wouldn't spend more than a hundred bucks on a helmet myself. <laughs> One, I have nowhere to put it. Two, um, I'm just not really into collecting those kind of things. But a lot of people are, so I'm sure they're going to make money. They sold them out last time for four hundred bucks, and they sold them out before the general crowd could get in. So that was the big thing. Might as well up the price and get as much money as you can for them. This is a tough one. I mean, I, I work in the retail sector, you know, you know, tangentially, and I get you want to maximize profits, right? If there's a supply and demand, you 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 take advantage. That seems like a really high price. I think last year, what the, the there were 400, I think is what it, what it said, and now they're 600. It's quite a markup uh, over over a year time span. Uh, and again, supply and demand, I guess that's the that's the the way of commerce these days. That's just that's just a lot of money. It seems like jerseys, hats. You know, shorts, equipment, apparel, maybe a little bit more in price line. Curious how many helmets, A, they have to offer, and B, what the sell-through rate will be. Um, I don't know if we'll get those stats, but I'd be curious to see what those look like. It's $600 a pop. They'll sell every last one of them if they can, right? They'll try and move those. The other thing that's coming up, the Charge On Tour, first stop, real South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, May 12th. Mike, you're planning on going. Yeah, I will be there. I reserved my spot. I'm bringing the whole family, wife, kids. Um, it's going to be a good time. I, I just got confirmation today that they got my spot because I signed up the day I heard about it last Friday. Never got the confirmation email. I had to send my own email. Finally, somebody got back to me today. So I will be there Wednesday afternoon. And perhaps roving reporter, if all goes well, perhaps an opportunity to talk with Coach Malzahn. Have you readied your questions uh, and any of them involve tank tops? Oh, you know there's going to be a tank top question. No. I don't have all my questions ready, but I'm definitely getting that one in. The last time I went to one of these, I got to speak to Danny White, Josh Heupel. I asked Heupel about the shackets. I'm not scared to ask a little bit about the tank tops. Or maybe I got a couple other surprises for Malzahn and Mojave. Trace, can I get it? <laughs> true or false? This is the last time Mike ever talks to Gus Malzahn. True or false? <laughs> Uh, that's a good one. I like I like that. Uh, I'm going to go with true because we're not sure where, okay. the, where the charge on tour may take us. Uh, I think that if he asks the question about tank tops, he may not be allowed access anymore to Coach Belson. Uh The Maybe visor seems to be something to bring up, the Waffle House, but uh, he, he just does not seem like a tank top kind of guy. Mike, ask him, be creative then, Mike. Ask him if he'll wear the sweater vest without a shirt underneath, which is really just a tank top overall, right? So maybe just, you know, get that worked out. All right. That's a thought. But everybody's already asked the Waffle House questions a million times. This is something he's never heard before. No, he's this never heard what? this one before. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, Mike, you need your pressure cooker moment, right? With all respect <laughs> to, to, uh, to Darren Stoltzfish, you need your pressure cooker moment. I'm not saying bring some sort of an air fryer with you, but I mean, this could be an opportunity to go viral, um, although I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Maybe I'll bring in one of my tank tops, see if it fits. <laughs> I think as soon as Mark Daniels sees you heading in the direction of Coach Malzahn, he's going to be like, whoa, hey, keep moving, Coach. <laughs> Are you going to try for Mark Daniels again? Do you have maybe throw uh, the tank top question out to him and to Terry Mahaj? Uh, I got Mark last time. I don't know. We'll see how if uh, he's available. There's a, there's a lot of uh, big names. I'm sure last time Sammy was out there, maybe I get a chance to talk to Sammy again. You know, I'll make my way around the room and see who bites. Let me try that <laughs> testimonial out for you. I'm Mark Daniels, and I never listen to the Sons of UCF. <laughs> Actually, you know what, Mike? I feel like Timo. I, I feel like he might be suns out, guns out kind of guy. He looks like he's a you know he's a guy who enjoys the weight room. He actually might enjoy the tank top. You may have an in there. Yeah, I told you he may be he may be my huckleberry when it comes to questions like this. He likes these kind of interviews. I think, and I don't think he. I think he's tired of just the basic same question over and over. So I'll hit him with a few of those. Can you can you at least get clarity on whether or not he was threatened by the Trace Trucko walk and talks and decided <laughs> to up the ante with the sip and talk? Can you get at least get clarity on that one question for us? 
I will see what I can do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> other tour stops, May 19th, Port Canaveral. And they're going a long way for that one on May 27th, all the way to Oviedo. I wish, however, they had gone to Tampa or perhaps Atlanta, maybe expand that footprint. If you're going to have it in Oviedo, might as well just have it at the bounce house or on campus. I don't know why. That's didn't they? Didn't they go to New York last time, Trace? Right? Do, do, I, do I misremember that? Didn't they go to Some New York back. on their last? Yeah. Some years back. Yeah, New York. Obviously, COVID, I'm sure some of this stuff is playing a factor and yeah. staying in the footprint, right? But I do think it's interesting that I mean, people are obviously, you know, uh, opining that there could be other stops, that this could make Jacksonville, was was mentioned a few times, right? Tampa is a good opportunity. Atlanta is an opportunity. Uh, so at least there's supply and demand on this juncture as well. Maybe in future years, we'll see more of this, you know, if, with the self-proclaimed future of college football, I think it would behoove us to, to get out in some of these areas and, you know, and, and meet the alumni, meet the fans, and maybe impress a couple of local reporters to get out there and cover UCF for free. Yeah, I was up at the one in Jacksonville. That's the first opportunity I had to speak with Coach Scott Frost uh, during that tour stop. So they do move them around. I just think, uh, you know, Oviedo, perhaps eh, that one's a little easy. But uh, uh, State of Florida announcing today all 12 public universities can return to pre pandemic operations, academics, and sports. So it seems as we get into the uh, dog days of summer that it's looking more and more like uh, you're going to have full stadiums uh, in the fall. One more football note before we talk a little bit about the draft. Uh, Jags cut Nate Evans. Uh, so what we have, we have Shaquille there, right? Is that where we've yep. got our, our connection? That's uh, our connection. But he, he inks with the Seahawks. So, you know, we, we've got uh, UCF Northwest uh, back in business with uh, Nate Evans uh, going to Seattle. So you guys did a pretty good uh, breakdown of the uh, the draft. I went on record as saying four guys. I think you had six. Number was five. Still a pretty good class for UCF. What were your big takeaways? Uh, Richie Grant uh, went high, nearly first round, right? 40th overall. Uh, a good fit for the Falcons. And uh, and Mike, you get, uh, you get Aaron Robinson to the Giants. Yeah, I'm pumped about Aaron Robinson. I never get one of these guys drafted to my team, so that had me excited. Uh, Tate Gowan slipped a little bit more than maybe he thought or some other people thought. Some people had him penciled in higher. Um, I think Richie went pretty much where everybody expected. Jacob Harris was the other one that people were saying anywhere from the second to the seventh round. He went right in the middle there. Uh, and then the couple guys that didn't get drafted, the, uh, Marlon Williams and the two running backs. So, Did you guys hear that thunder? <laughs> I thought your garage door opened accidentally. <laughs> no, it's it's raining pretty hard out here too. I thought it was the dryer. Um, first <laughs> off, Trace, we did a pretty good job. Uh, second of all, um, uh, Trey Nixon, I think, was fantastic story. Seventh round, that that video that's now viral. You know, the, the Patriots' longtime uh, staff member for his final pick uh, got to, to call Trey uh, Nixon. Made the pick. Uh, you saw the video of him calling Trey of Bill Belichick on the phone with Trey. Uh, so for forever, uh, you know, I think it's Ernie Adams is the guy's name. He'll, he'll he's a legend in New England. He'll be associated with this training pick. I thought that was a really cool opportunity. I think that was a great video. I just love seeing those videos. You saw the Jacob Harris video. Uh, you saw that you know the Ted Gowan video. You saw Richie Grant's video. Seeing guys get a phone call that literally may change their life. Uh, I think there's nothing better than that. And when you have a rooting interest in these guys, like we all do, uh, that makes it all the all the more sweeter. Obviously, the the bittersweet moment, Marlon not getting drafted. He signed pretty quickly afterwards, which hopefully means there was some demand. And I know we're all still waiting to see if anything can can uh, materialize with Otis and Greg. But overall, you, you got to say going into the into the draft, if if we told you these were the results at the end of it, I think most night fans would be pretty pretty satisfied with this. So a good day overall for the uh, for the kids from Orlando. Yeah, to me, watching those videos was the coolest thing. The, the thing UCF put out the other day, just the reactions, the family. These guys' lives have changed now. They've, they've gone from wherever local high school they were at to now UCF to now the big time in the NFL. It must be an amazing feeling for them. And uh, it'd be interesting uh, to reflect on Pro Day, right? Uh, Jacob Harris had uh, a tremendous showing in Pro Day and no doubt helped him. And But do we overrate too much uh, Marlon Williams' performance on Pro Day and perhaps that he slips a little bit? Or was there something uh, that scouts saw in tape that, uh, you know, maybe they just thought he was uh, the product of the system and uh, that, you know, there just wasn't enough there uh, to get him drafted. However, has an opportunity uh, hopefully to uh, to stay on with the Texans. 
Listen, scouts are not, um, you know, they're not fortune tellers. Every year a player comes from out of nowhere, undrafted players and then guys in the sixth, seventh round and make, you know, great NFL careers, become legends a la Tom Brady. I obviously that's probably the most famous one you can think about. Uh, Marlon strikes me as the kind of guy that is, is potentially in that realm where he's going to be able to crack a roster, um, you know, make some plays for a team and be that undrafted guy, you know, Listen, the combine measures speed, height, you know, jumping ability. Can't measure heart. Can't measure toughness. It can't measure the ability and the and the will to do something great. I think we all saw that in Marlon, a never give up kind of attitude. You know, if there's a test for that, I, I think that's the game film. And it's unfortunate that maybe not enough people watch that game film. But I think for, for guys like that, you know, the, the combine perhaps hurts them, but Ultimately, I think there's immeasurables that will carry them on to great careers. And I think Marlon has those things. All he needs a chance, and uh, and hopefully he gets that with Houston or somebody else. But um, I certainly think that it, it may be a bit of a mistake for him to be passed on in the draft. I don't know what film these guys were watching. Maybe from a couple of years ago, he definitely improved his speed and he's changed his body the last couple of years. This past season, he was the best player on the field for almost every game we watched. So I, I'm with Adam. I think he's got a real shot to be one of these guys that still makes a career for himself. Kaboom. What's the weather <laughs> report, Mike? Let's go to Mike now for the weather. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining cats and dogs. This week's big question that I asked on Twitter, how many UCF football players will get drafted in 2022's NFL draft? Uh, 3% said one, 19% said two, 33% said three, nearly half at 45% said four or more, which of course leads to some speculation, which names at black gold underscore Ed. He says, big cat and Brandon Johnson, Unger Unger at Unger Unger. Sam says, uh, Kalia Davis, big cat and Dylan Gabriel. And at Brian W. Peterson, Kalia Davis, big cat and Dylan Gabriel. By the way, tip of the hat to JP Gilbert, who was not very far off in his Jacob Harris uh, prediction. Right. So, uh, yeah, eight picks. Interesting away. names, interesting names. Right. Uh, and let's talk a little bit more about the draft to return guest on the Sons of UCF Live. He's Jonathan Adams, sports contributor at heavy.com. You can find him at John D. Adams. Uh, Jonathan, uh, we welcome you back. Correct. Or we yeah. don't welcome him back. Or He's just don't. dropped out of the green room, Trey. So live <laughs> technical first. difficulties. Yeah, it doesn't happen all the time. I was going to. But oh, you know what? Looks like he's back. I see him there, so we're going to go to Jonathan now. Jonathan is back in. There you go, Jonathan. There you're back, Jonathan, a return is, guest uh, on the Sons of UCF Live. We welcome you back. Thank you. I got too excited. I just couldn't handle all the, ex the excitement you guys were, all the truth you guys were spitting out before I arrived. <laughs> well, we were talking uh, first about uh, how the UCF guys fared. Five picks uh, of nights uh, in this NFL draft, not too shabby. And you'd messaged me that you thought Richie Grant would go high, goes 40th overall to the Falcons. What do you think of Atlanta's pick? I think it's great. It's a great fit for Richie. If you look at that Falcons team, they're rebuilding. They lost a lot of uh, defensive players in free agency. And so he's going to have an opportunity to really be start being the core there of that new group um, with a new GM, new coach there, Arthur Smith. And I think it's a great fit for him. Really, I, I can't really complain about any of the fits. You know, when you get five guys drafted, I know Orlando, I don't know what the situation on, on Church Street is as far as COVID and everything, but I'm sure there was some social distancing celebration going on from Knights fans around Orlando and honestly around the country. Jonathan, we knew that Jacob Harris had had an off-the-charts level pro day. We knew his name was sort of bandied about out there. He was one of those kind of sleeper, dark horse guys. Uh, obviously, a late, uh, a late arrivee to football um, from the from the soccer realm. Going 141 to the Rams, projecting, I guess, to play tight end. How do you project that fit for an athlete of Jacob's size in a Sean McVay type offense? What do you project for him, particularly if he has to make a position switch? Yeah, I was listening to some of the comments from the Rams, and it sounds like he was drafted. They, they had him rated as the number one special teams player on their board. So he's going to come in right away and contribute on special teams, given his speed. And uh, hopefully, you know, have a chance to then be part of the offense. Uh, they lost Gerald Everett to the Seahawks. So there's an opening there in the tight end receiver area. They did bring in Deshaun Jackson. So I know, uh, at least on the NFL Network broadcast, he was listed as a as a receiver. So I think if they see him as a guy, if he is a tight end, someone that's not going to be connected to the line necessarily, but slid him out wide and more of a receiving threat. But I think his initial uh, 
fit is on special teams. And then obviously, as we've seen with other guys, other UCF guys in the NFL, uh, if he does well there, then he has the opportunity to get snaps in the offense. But definitely did well. I mean, I don't know if I've seen a riser. You know, he was potentially a guy that couldn't get, might not get drafted, has that pro day, you know, shows out. That's some of the pre-draft. He wasn't even, you know, at the Senior Bowl. He was at one of the the uh, smaller events and did really well there and worked his way all the way up to what it was the fourth round, right? Um, 141. So, I, I mean, the, super impressed with just how he, he utilized this draft process, the pre-draft process to his advantage. I noticed you have a cowboy helmet there behind you. Our guy Aaron Robinson goes to my team, the Giants. Do you, are you anything like me? Do you hate it when the guys that you root for go to a team that you hate? Well, so I cover right now. I cover the Seahawks, Cowboys, and Bucks are three of the teams that I cover. So I'm I'm I need like a Bucko Bruce helmet to add there. I also need a UCF helmet. Um, my brother-in-law makes these helmets for me, so he sends me. So whatever he sends me, I put them on the wall. Um, so those are the three or the two that he's, he's sent so far. But um, yeah, so my dad's actually from Texas, so it is a little bit weird. But now I'm in I'm trying to be professional in the journalism, depending on who you ask. If you read the comments of any of my articles or on Twitter, they probably would debate you. But um, I, <laughs> I try to be professional. So it is a little weird to be rooting, just having that sort of like muscle memory. But, you know, you look at from just an objective standpoint, New York City being a major market, um, in a, in a role where he's going to probably start day one, um, potentially in that that's that slot corner role that's become basically a starter right now, right? With how you know we're seeing four or five wide receivers, so um, I think it's a great fit for him. And obviously, I'm sure the UCF athletic department is thrilled to have a a, a night in, in New York City. Going into pro day, I'm not sure anyone would have said that of the UCF wide receiver core that Jacob Harris would go ahead of everyone else and Marlon Williams would go undrafted. How do you think those shake out, those three guys shake out with their teams? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, with Marlon, it was super disappointing. Even that, you know, it kind of started with the senior boy didn't get an invite and there was no combine this year. So I'm not sure if he would have got an invite there, but. If, if there was one, um, obviously that 40 time really, really hurt his, his draft stock. Um, so I, I don't, but I will say of the undrafted situations, he signs with the Texans team. It doesn't have a lot of competition in terms of, of, you know, they obviously had that terrible trade with, uh, DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals. So they, they, they have wide open, um, opportunity there. If he can kind of ball out in training camp and, and this year it will help him that there are, uh, uh, preseason games so that's going to help him a lot um i don't know what the deal was there i was just so surprised that he didn't have more buzz going into the draft i thought he could at least you know be like a round six round seven guy and just just um but you know it, it's like i've had a few opportunities to interview guys on the day before the draft and i always tell them it's not necessarily where you get drafted not that i'm some sort of yoda they don't <laughs> they have plenty of good <laughs> advice but i you know you can tell they're a little bit worried about where they go and, and guys want to get drafted high but the big thing is that they get drafted to the right team. So you can get drafted lower, but it's to the right fit. And that's going to be better for your long-term career. So, you know, when you're in that six to seven round range, honestly, it's better to go undrafted in a lot of cases. Then you have your pick as an undrafted free agent because they start the recruiting process. These teams do. And so he's in a great fit and potentially you could argue a better fit than if he would have got drafted to a team in the sixth or seventh round where he's not going to have an opportunity to compete to, for a roster spot. Another interesting case for UCF was Tay Gowan. Obviously, he only spent a season at UCF. Spent two years prior to that in the uh, in the JUCO level. Uh, opted out of 2020 for uh, for personal reasons. He was a kid that was in some draft boards projected higher. I mean, I think you saw him as high as maybe three and, and four, and then you saw him as low as seven. He ends up going six to Arizona. How much do you think the lack of tape and or the opt out hurt a guy like Tay Gowan and ultimately other guys who decided to opt out of 2020? Well, in, in some cases, you know, you look at the guys high of the draft, Jamar Chase, Parson, some of those, Micah Parsons for Penn State. It doesn't seem like if you're a top 20 guy or top 30 guy, it seemed like those guys didn't have as much of an impact. But definitely on the, the day two, day three fringe, I do think it hurt. And you saw um, guys that even had any opportunity to have any in-person work. So you saw a lot of the senior bowl guys this year get pushed up the board because that was really the one in-person interaction that these NFL teams had with the players this year. 
Um, even even scouting in person was difficult because I think scouts had to just, uh, you know, attend the game, but then they couldn't necessarily meet with the guys until some of the pro days. I believe that's what most of the school's um, philosophy was. So it definitely hurt him. But, um, you know, the Cardinals, it sounds like he's going to have opportunity to make the roster there. They want to develop him in that secondary. Um, if I remember correctly, Peterson – Patrick Peterson, I believe, is with the Vikings now. So there's there's there is some opportunity there for him, even if he was drafted lower than he wanted to, to to, to stick around and make an impact. Five nights drafted this year. It's a new school record. We've been on an upward trend. How about our friends over to the West, the Cows? For the third <laughs> year in a row, nobody drafted. Can we just take a moment here just to laugh at them? Or can you just expound on it? How pathetic is that program right now? <laughs> Well, I can't. <laughs> I can comment. I can comment. Um, I can comment off there to you, but I will say this: what I what I and what I told. Um, uh, I think we were messaging back and forth on Twitter, and I just this is obviously a record day for UCF, but I think UCF's only getting started now that you have a, a real recruiter there in Gus Malzahn. We're going to start to see as he takes some swing at some of these guys, the four or five star guys. And I know there's debate about the star system, and we, we have seen UCF guys outperform whatever their, their ratings are, but there is some truth to that. And so if UCF can start to get more consistently these four- and five-star guys, I think you're going to start to see more and more. Um, we've obviously had – UCF had success getting guys drafted and getting guys in the NFL, but I think you're going to see even more success with Gus there. Um, and I will pose a question to – I'm going to not answer your question, but I am going to pose a question to you. UCF – uh, I think was the record of five this year. Most most guys drafted. How do you explain last season? Then, if you look at the talent, I know some of those guys were opt outs. But what's your answer? I'm sure you guys go around and around this, but to me, I obviously have an answer. But I'm curious what you guys would think about that because clearly the, the the at least the NFL is saying you guys had enough talent. There's no way that a team that talented from an NFL perspective should be getting blown out by BYU by like 40 or whatever it was in the bowl game. In my opinion. Yeah, the easy answer is one of the guys didn't play all season. The other guy was hurt for 90% of the season. So it was really three out of five. The games we lost in the season were close losses. And the BYU game, nobody played, if you want to take it that route. But the close losses, I mean, there, there's one guy you can turn your head to and say, what were you doing in some of those games? And that's the head coach. The former head right. coach. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's pivot to 2022. I think a lot of Knights fans are – wondering if Dylan Gabriel will be included in that draft class, but perhaps it's big cat Bryant that has the uh, possibility of going highest. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened with big cat because he was a top hundred prospect the last couple of years and just has kind of bounced around a little bit. So I know he definitely needs this season to resurrect his draft stock and is going to have every opportunity to step in and contribute right away. It seems so um, with, with, you know, as UCF grows as a program, you're going to start to see these sort of tough decisions. Do you root for Dylan Gabriel to have a great season and potentially have an opportunity to lead to the NFL? Because he's a, oh, am I correct? He's a junior this year, this this next season. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, so you're in that situation where right now he's not being listed as the top, among the top quarterbacks. He would be probably potentially like a day three guy, Dane Brookler, who writes way too much stuff about the draft that anyone else could have could take in. Um, he does like you know uh, very popular draft guy every year, and he mentioned Dylan Gabriel as a guy that could you know uh, help his draft stock. But he also listed about 15 quarterbacks, and and Dylan wasn't on that list. Now we've seen that before, where um, players outperform, especially guys that are smaller in stature at quarterback, will outperform and have an opportunity to get drafted. Kyler Murray was headed to the MLB, you know, to play pro baseball and then ends up being has a stellar season in Oklahoma and ends up being the top draft pick. Uh, so Dylan's going to have every opportunity to help his draft stock. It's one of those things that UCF fans, are you rooting that he has a great season and potentially does so well that he could be, you know, a top, say top 60 pick moving his way up there. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's where UCF as a program grows, where you have this, this, these more and more talent, which could potentially mean less and less time at UCF, which is a good problem to have, I, I would say. How much does having a coach like Gus Malzahn help these guys from a draft stock perspective? 
either connections he has, contacts he has. Obviously, he's a quote unquote a name brand head coach. You know, there'll be some eyeballs on UCF probably a little bit more early in the season. If we start winning, they'll continue to stay on on UCF. Does, does having a big name coach like a Gus Malzahn does that help some of these guys from a draft stock perspective? You think going into next year? I think so because you got to think he's got all those connections from his Auburn days, and Auburn has no shortage of players in the NFL. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of, I know kind of the, the knock on Auburn there was his development of quarterbacks. That if you if you look kind of like nitpick a little bit, I know there was some question on how he developed Bo Nix and, and some of the other guys there, but I think he's going to be great for Dylan. And I, I think he can only help his draft stock, even though I, I know the hypo was kind of built as the, the quarterback whisperer. I know that Bruce Arians is dubbed as a quarterback whisperer. So maybe like quarterback whisperer junior, but um you looked at, I just felt like Dylan was playing in a limited offense last year. When you look at some of it was either, if you look at the offensive play calls, there's deep bombs, which he obviously has a strong arm. That's not the question, but I think NFL teams want to see, can you throw these more nuanced throws and use the whole field, not just bomb threats, or you saw a lot of, you know, using, utilizing the running back, which I'm sure Gus will do, but hopefully Dylan will have more of an opportunity to utilize the whole length of the field all over show off some of that mid mid-range passing passing that he has the ability to do i believe but maybe he hasn't had the opportunity to showcase it in that offense under hypo um last time you were on we said that you needed to work on some of your draft phrases come up with something new uh one i heard this past week that i never heard before there was an offensive lineman that had typewriter for feet did you come up with anything new for this past draft Anything that you saw was good was my doing. Um, one of my favorites, though, I don't know if we said this last time, but Ben's well at the hips. I mean, don't we all want to bend well at the hips? I mean, who doesn't want that on their draft card? So that's a, that's a good one. Um, one of the other ones that's, you know, when a guy's like not athletic, like probably like myself, when they describe someone like me, it'd be like high motor, very good leadership qualities. Um which I was, I was never, uh, I peaked in my athletic ability at probably like third grade, you know, right after T-ball, kind of that was like a pivotal moment. But I never liked getting those awards because it always meant like, usually whatever those awards were meant that you weren't very good and they had to give you some awards. So I always kind of laugh when guys, it, it seems like they're trying to give like a backhanded compliment. But um, it's when, you, when you have with the draft, this draft complex that we've created, uh, you have three days now of draft coverage. I feel like you kind of run out of analogies, right? Like there's only so many that you can use. And maybe the typewriter thing is just you kind of had to, to to make up some new ones by day three. Back to Dylan, it's uh, likely, right, that his statistics may be down uh, and from the, the lofty numbers that he put up last season. But he may be, become a better quarterback. And how important do you think it is that he develop uh, some wheels and that he can make some first downs using his legs. Yeah, and I would say that that's not going to have a lot of, and I think all of us know that it's not going to have a lot of bearing. I know if we're doing like a fantasy draft, you know, we're going to sort. If you look at the yards and like look at some of the yards the last say five ten years, and whether it's receiver, running back, quarterback, and you just sorted it, and then you look at some of those guys, like a lot of those guys end up not even lasting through their full NFL contract, which is odd because you would think, let's just draft the guy that has the most yards each year, whether it's quarterback, passing yards. You know, uh, Dylan's been very good about protecting the football and not throwing interceptions. Uh, but I think he would he would do well for himself, even if there's a downtick in some of the passing yards and it's more maybe the tempo. Is it, I'm sure that Gus wants to play fast, but I don't know if he's going to play to the level of the amount of plays they were getting off under Hypo. So um, but I, that won't be a knock for Dylan. I think, like I said, I think it's going to be the the short, intermediate passing game in addition to his ability. We know that he can throw the deep pass, um, has as strong of, as strong of an arm as any uh, person in college football heading into next season. But it's it's showing off that, that very rate, especially now the popularity of, of slot receivers in the NFL. Um, that's going to be something that I think NFL scouts are going to be utilizing more so than him breaking, you know, he's going to own a lot of records by the time he leaves Orlando. So, One of my favorite things about our show is that oftentimes our listeners do the work for me. So uh, here's a question from a good friend of ours, Nelson. Assuming that Dylan Gabriel comes out in the draft next year, is Dylan Gabriel drafted higher than Mackenzie Milton if both are available in the draft? 
That's a tough one. I, I would say yes, but the the caveat, no no sports writer worth his salt doesn't have a caveat and talk out of both sides of their mouth. So I tried to do that over the years. That's why you guys maybe keep inviting me on. But you know, I don't have access to Casey's uh, medical records, and but obviously played really well in the spring game. But there's a there's going to be a long path to where he was at last season to get all the way to being a, you know, a, a top prospect. But if anyone can do it, obviously it's him. I know he has a standing invite from the senior bowl, which I think that they'll make, that wasn't just like PR, uh, you know, I think that they really did mean that he's going to get invited as long as he was back to full health back when he first had the injury. So he's going to have an opportunity, but I think he's going to have to utilize some of the pre-draft process. You also have to think, Dylan's not going to have trouble. You know, he's obviously the starter at UCF, and whereas McKenzie's in a in a quarterback battle right now, so he's got to prove that. Um, I know it, it it sounds callous to say because we're all you know we're rooting for him, but from an NFL perspective, they want to see that he's fully healthy. But he also has to win that starting spot, which I think he has a chance to do. Obviously, he showed off in that spring game, and if that continues. It's going to be hard for them to keep him off the field. But Dylan just has a clear path to be able to use this season as in a much cleaner prospect in terms of the health evaluation, which is a big piece of it. Um, but I know that we're all rooting for McKenzie to um, to play on Sundays, and I think he's definitely going to get a chance, assuming that, that you know he stays healthy and, and makes that recovery like he already has. We already mentioned the big cat and obviously Dylan Gabriel. I know you've already probably done a mock draft for 2021. What other Knights are on that list? Who do we look forward to getting drafted next year? You know, I was thinking about that. I, there's got to be, and it, some of it depends on the the running back, but I feel like the the running back is going to be, and you guys have talked about this some on your show, I think, um, but the running back is going to be going to be featured in Gus Malzahn's offense. I'm sure you guys have more of a pulse on who's, who's leading that position battle. And then we also, you know, UCF seems to be, churning out wide receivers um we didn't talk about we should talk at some point you know trey nixon i think is a great fit in uh with the patriots but that's that's not what you asked me i just thought of that but so i definitely think there's going to be some ucf receivers that go um it just depends on kind of it's hard to project because you think look at who are going to be the guys that are going to get opportunities in gus's offense um so I, those would be the two positions that i definitely look like look would look at i would say big cat right now is is the the favorite to get to be drafted first, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of those UCF receivers emerges as the guy that ends up hearing his name called first, kind of like we, what we saw with with uh, Richie Grant and, and Robinson this, this past weekend. All right, Jonathan, you have opportunity to write about Nate Evans, who's now inked with the Seahawks. We appreciate you hopping on with the Sons of UCF Live. You can find him at John D. Adams for all of his coverage, and we'll have you back again. You're, you're good fun on this show. Well, I appreciate it, fellas. Thanks for keeping us uh, out of towners in the loop uh, as much as possible. And um, yeah, appreciate you guys. All right. Thanks, Thanks much. All right. In this space a week ago, we had a very tired Luis Pardillo of Dreamfield talking about uh, a quick change in name, image, and likeness. And uh, just about as quick, it went from 2021 to pushing it a year to back to July 1st. So Florida remains on track. Interestingly enough, uh, Georgia uh, signed its name, image, and likeness bill today, and it calls for uh, schools to keep up to 75% of an athlete's endorsement compensation. It would seem to me that that might be a recruiting advantage for Florida schools over Georgia schools. If only there could be like one governing body that could help us like figure out how to handle all of college athletics. We got to, we got to figure that out. Um, a, I hope Lewis got some sleep because I know it's probably a, maybe a long couple of days for him. Obviously Florida reversed their, their course there. Um, some will point to uh, many of the high profile athletes, including a Mackenzie Milton and a lot of the coaches in the state of Florida who use their voice to influence legislators to potentially make a change there. Um, not quite sure what Georgia's doing. This is not just a, 
a comment about about this legislation movie and other things as well. But listen, I think it's going to be a free for all. States are going to decide what they want to do. The NCAA is going to be powerless to stop it. And and I think at some point there has to be some sort of standardization here. I think you have to do the right things by the players, by the kids. This doesn't feel like it in terms of Georgia. And I'm not saying that Florida's got it right either. I don't think anybody's really know yet. I think there's a lot of things that are going to change and they're going to evolve with this. Um, but I, if only there was a way we could get some sort of a governing, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll spitball that idea. Go ahead, Mike. I mean, it's all about the money, right? That's why this decision got switched back somewhere in those back rooms. Somebody said, all right, we're going to make some money off it. All right, let's, let's do it. Or they were going to lose money, changing their minds. Somebody was going to get mad. And I don't know, but the, you're right. The, everybody, it has to be even all across college football. Otherwise you're going to start seeing recruiting go way up and way down in different spots. I don't know how they're going to handle it. Let's face it, people are already getting paid for years. And we've seen it how many times with different schools. Tennessee was the latest. Um, so at least get it on the books and just do it the right way with everybody the same with the same rules. So the NCAA must be confused today by Twitter announcing that you have a tip feature where you can reward uh, people for their tweets. Uh, will that now be a recruiting violation <laughs> if, you, if you tip your favorite uh, college football player for something they've posted on Twitter. I mean, so many things are happening. Legislation, uh, state lawmakers, the NCAA, they can't keep up with the changes in technology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the NCAA hasn't kept up with a lot of things, Trace. I think that's the challenge is they have been, you know, three steps behind everything for a long time. Um, I think it was last week, if I had my dates right, Mark Emrit, who is sort of the, the much maligned president of the NCAA, somehow got an extension or got re reelected. And it was like a one line, like news dump on the bottom of a press release that had nothing to do with that. So the NCAA has been three steps behind for probably the last 10 you know, 10 to 12 years and all these things. I can't imagine that with, uh, you know, with, with all the things that will happen with social media, with all the things up in technology, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. I just, there's no way the NCAA can keep up. They're still tracking McDonald's bags. I can't imagine they're going to have any fighting chance to get some of these things. Bitcoin, tipping a guy on his Twitter with Bitcoin. The NCAA has no idea how to handle that. I mean, you drop a couple of Dogecoins on somebody, Trace. I mean, you, you could get some recruits these days. Where was this tipping feature when I was running my March Madness bracket? I could have made some <laughs> coins myself. I'd have a, I'd be sitting on a couple of bitcoins right now. Well, I sent the uh, the link to uh, Adam. You'll have to set up the Sons of UCF Twitter uh, with this tip feature, and uh, well, we could run a, uh, do a running tally uh, on the show. Uh, we're now up to thirty cents. Thank you, Night Nation, <laughs> for contributing. It could do all sorts of stunts. Do you want to see Mike wear sunglasses again? Tip us. Let's not turn yeah, us into OnlyFans. We don't need an OnlyFans account, Trace. Let's <laughs> let's not give Mike any ideas. Mike will oh, wear really? his tank top on next week's show <laughs> exactly. if we get up to thirty-three dollars and nine cents. Or Mike won't wear his tank top, which is really more where I'm concerned. <laughs> you guys are thinking about some big mo uh, money raises there. <laughs> Might be some high bids to see the guys. Oh boy. Yeah, you and you and Coach Malzahn showing off next week in Fort Lauderdale. That'll be that'll be something. Let's, so uh, let's we could get, what do you think we could get, though, if Mike can get a picture with him and Gus Malzahn flexing in a tank top? That's got to be worth like we, we've got to be able to market that immensely. Right. If we get that, I mean, the tip jar has got to open up. That goes straight to the top of the website, I think. Right. And or it'll be perfect bail money for you. <laughs> bail money. Uh, we don't get opportunity to talk about basketball much during this uh, time of the year, but how about Taco Fall last night uh, against the Magic Heat for the Boston Celtics? Just five minutes, two points, three rebounds, four blocks. Don't you wish maybe the Magic, the Magic think maybe they should have taken Taco Fall, if nothing else, than to be a good publicity driver for this uh, basement franchise? Yeah, not the best season for the Magic. I mean, they have a couple of young pieces, Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton. They just got in the trade for Aaron Gordon. You would think a taco would help out. It's unfortunate that Boston doesn't find more of a role for him. Um, 
I, I understand there may be some limitations uh, offensively at times. I understand that obviously while he's, he's tall, he doesn't necessarily have uh, maybe as much, as much weight to hang with some of those guys in the post. He can't get to the perimeter. I, I get all that stuff, but you kind of wish Boston would have a, you know, more of an opportunity to get him in the game. It kind of hurt. It's, it's really tough. So I can, I can speak from experience. I was on my high school basketball team. I was not the best player. I was the 13th guy on the 12 person team. And so when I got in the game and Mike can remember this, I, I got in the game everybody like cheered and I don't care where I caught the ball they wanted me to shoot it because I think I had like 10 points for my entire my entire career I hate to see Taco in that realm where he's in the game and they're all like jumping up and down and like laughing and and want to see him play because he's a he's a good player he's an NBA caliber player you know I wish he could find a situation that could give him more of that exposure if that's the magic that'd be perfect but there's got to be a team out there that he can at least get some some more quality minutes versus the Adam garbage time minutes that I got in high school yeah, they're treating him almost like a circus act where he's actually contributing. Every time he gets in, where he had four blocks in how many minutes yesterday? Like Five four minutes. minutes? Five, Five minutes, minutes, four blocks? I mean, average that out over 48 minutes. He's going to have 40 blocks a game. Um, I like your math, scored. by the way. Four goals is 72 <laughs> points. Four blocks in five minutes is 200 blocks a game. <laughs> The thing, Mike's actually really good at math too. By the way, I've seen his math scores. He's really he's good. He's scoring. I, I bet you that's not that far off. Average that out. Four, <laughs> four blocks over forty-eight minutes. Go ahead. Um, but he scores every time he gets in there. He's getting better and better. <laughs> is it is it the Celtics that are just that good? I, I don't follow them that closely. Who's the starting centers for the Celtics? Uh, here's the Mike question of the week that Adam. Adam knows. I got gotcha. you. So oh. Tristan Thompson of the Kardashian fame, he's now over there. They have Robert Williams, who was a guy I think Texas A and M. Uh, they let go of Enos Cantor. They just traded Daniel Tice. You would think they'd have an opportunity for Taco, uh, but it's small ball these days in the NBA, Mike. That's that's the problem. Is he's he's matching yeah. up with a guy that like an Anthony Davis who's going to take him you know, 24 feet to the perimeter. Not that he can't extend and put his arms up, but if Anthony Davis puts the ball on the, on the floor, does he get around Taco easily enough? It's more of, I think, of a matchup situation than anything. Uh, but you would think there's one team out there or there's situational moments where Taco can play. Again, we just saw him play at UCF, and maybe I'm just on my soapbox in this one. It just, it just hurts to see him do an up-and-under move and watch Jason Tatum and the whole bench lose their mind like it's the first time he's been on a basketball court. He's an NBA-caliber player. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's got a few years left in the NBA. If the NBA isn't for big guys anymore, he's going to have a great career. If he has to go overseas, he can dominate at some point. He's getting better and better as the years go on. Aubrey Dawkins back, signs with uh, Sideline Cancer, a team in the basketball tournament uh, that will be coming up uh, this summer. And uh, John Rothstein reports Florida State expected to play UCF and Florida expected to play the Cows in the 2021 Orange Bowl Classic. Mike, if you do not get removed from the Charge on Tour event by UCF Sports Information, you can keep your credentials alive. Perhaps you can pose a difficult question to Johnny Dawkins about why he's on the hot seat uh, when uh, when the Knights come to South Florida. This well, morning. first of all, you're welcome, everyone, because this was my idea. You go back to the last Charge on Tour in Fort Lauderdale. I told Danny White to get us back in this Orange Bowl Classic that we were in. I believe in 2010 was the last time. He liked the idea. He got us in there last year. Unfortunately, got canceled for COVID. Glad to see us. We're back. And I will be at that game. As for asking questions afterwards, I don't think that's going to be my thing because, uh, you know, I'm going to have a few beers during the game. I will not. I'll be <laughs> off-duty fan UCF Mike. Fan UCF Mike. Yeah, we used to, actually, I'm looking for the picture now. Mike and I went to, I think, that last game in 2010. I think we were both there. Yeah. We got club seats. Um, this I, uh, this is not going to work. I think it's your cousin with us, Mike. Yeah, he's um, a Gator because the Gators also played I have, that I have no idea if you guys can see that. That's me and Mike and Mike's cousin circa 2010 at the uh, at the Orange Bowl Classic. That's a good time, I think. I don't know why I don't look like I have an eye open there. Um, we used to get like Lexus club level seats, booze and food. Yeah. Uh, it's a good, it's a really good event for, if you like college basketball, two games for the price of one, obviously Florida teams. Uh, so it's definitely a good event. It's good to see UCF get back in there. Florida state probably looking for revenge by the way. Uh, Cause obviously they are, uh, they were on the wrong side last year. And I'm also disappointed or somewhat proud that I have all that Boston Celtics roster knowledge. I'm not sure what to do with all that. <laughs> the cool thing about that tournament is it's not really a tournament. It's just two games in one day. The Gators usually get the late game. So the UCF Florida State, I'm thinking, will be the first game. If we win that, then you just sit back and relax and you eat and you drink and you hang out and you make wisecracks during the Gator game. It's a fun time. 
Well, guys, you know, uh, soccer's dream of a national title ended today with the loss to Pittsburgh, but we're really a tennis school, in fairness. We're really a, a, a tennis school. Uh, number eight women's tennis uh, earned the number nine national seed in the NCAA tournament. Today, Brian Kaneko, AAC Coach of the Year, third straight, and uh, I'll say the name, Valeria Zaleva, the AAC Player of the Year. UCF will host the first and second round in the tournament over at the USTA National Campus in Orlando. Friday, hosting Charleston Southern at noon. The winner faces the winner of FIU versus Miami, and that comes up on Saturday. So uh, UCF women's tennis can go far in the NCAA tournament, as can the men, number 10. They also earned the number nine national seed. John Roddick announced today AAC Coach of the Year. Gabriel DeCamps, AAC Player of the Year. They will, as well, host those first and second round games in Orlando. They open Saturday versus Monmouth. Uh, that's who Pittsburgh beat uh, in soccer. So Monmouth, who knew? Monmouth, the power in tennis and in soccer. And the winner faces Mississippi State, Miami. So it's possible the men and women could advance to play Miami in their respective uh, next round matchups if they get through and all things uh, equal out. But uh, these are two programs could contend for a national championship. I mean, they're top 10 ranked. Tris, I know you're going to come to me for your tennis coverage, and I, I can understand why you do that. But off script here, Mike has been preparing a little game for you all day long. And it that game is tennis or Kentucky <laughs> Derby. He's going to read you the names of an individual. You tell us if this is a UCF tennis player or a Kentucky Derby jockey. And that'll be our tennis coverage for this evening's show. Mike, take it away, my friend. Are you ready for this one, Trace? I know you didn't see it coming. I'm not ready at all. <laughs> <laughs> I know you follow the tennis team. How about, tell me, is this a UCF men's tennis player or a Kentucky Derby jockey? Oh, Juan Pablo Grassi Marzucci. UCF tennis player. Boom, one for one. Trace, all right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> How about Luis Saez? I do not recognize that name. Kentucky Derby. Two for two. I, I he's, he's nailing yeah, them. I told so you far. he'd be good at this. I told you uh -huh. he'd be good at this. How about John Velasquez? John Velasquez, tennis. No, he actually won the Kentucky Derby on top of Medina Spirit. He was the winning yeah. jack. I did yeah. not see the Kentucky Derby, yeah. so I did not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, how about, uh, Kento Yamada. Ooh, Kento Yamada. I do not know this, but I'm going to go back to UCF. Yeah, correct. He is a junior from Japan. So that, that is the, uh, you know, we have a, we have players from uh, Argentina, Ukraine, India, Romania, Russia, and Japan, which I did not know. So our team is worldwide. Yeah, uh, a lot of our sports uh, recruit worldwide. I think there are 15 different uh, languages uh, on the UCF men's soccer team. So they, they're all recruiting uh, these men's, women's tennis, soccer, recruiting globally. So I did three out of four. You did pretty well. Yeah, you just got just as many as I did about my uh, James Madison quiz last week. And had I watched the Kentucky Derby, I would have <laughs> I would have known that. My favorite thinking about this, Trace, is that Mike spent all afternoon like Googling the UCF men's tennis roster <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out who some of these guys were and what all this stuff meant to. That's probably the best thing about this entire exercise. Well, it only uh, took I me did. about 30 seconds to type in UCF tennis roster. I got the list. <laughs> It took me about an hour to figure out how to pronounce some of the names. You know, if you look, there's a pronunciation key on the roster page. It's the little ear symbol, and the player is usually the one that says their own name. So you should – that's a little bit of fun if ah, you're looking to, cool. looking to kill a little bit of time. All right, uh, softball. Uh, they were swept at Ole Miss. We will just forget about all of that. They've got the cows this weekend. I exchanged messages with our favorite guy, Eric Lopez. He says, if the cows beat UCF three out of four – they will win the AAC, these games uh, in Orlando. If not, a split or UCF takes three or all four, Wichita State will claim the title. AAC tournament begins in Tulsa in a week. So we've got to ruin the Cows' uh, chances right there, don't we? we got to deny them uh, an AAC title. The other team must go down, Trace, and they must go down hard. What does this mean, though? Does Elo give you any insight, or do you have any insight? What does this mean for sort of the postseason chances for the softball uh, group? Is it simply win the tournament and you're in? Is that really the only path to the Women's College World Series? 
You know, uh, that's not something we spoke of. We were just talking about where they are in the standings in the AAC tournament. Uh, tournament begins next week, so we were talking about maybe he'd hop on with us. We're not sure when UCF's game would be. It's perhaps in the afternoon, so he might join us on Sons of UCF Live to talk about that game and the rest of the tournament. But I didn't get into that with him. When I have heard him speak on this, though, UCF was still in the mix uh, for the NCAA tournament. So, you know, those dreams aren't dashed yet. I mean, we've seen this team do some incredible things. We've seen some late, uh, late game heroics. We've seen them to take out top teams in the in the country. You, you know, this happens in seasons, right? You kind of have that lull where things sort of die down a little bit. We know they're capable of turning it up a notch. This weekend could be the first weekend to start that leading into the tournament. You've seen that team flip that switch. Um, what better time than against the cows? Let's uh, let's flip the switch and uh, and and and. I think I, I demanded a sweep of the men's team. Uh, I'll demand a sweep again here. Softball must sweep the cows. Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. You heard me, Trace. Non-negotiable. Well, speaking of baseball, they beat Memphis three out of four. Uh, this weekend, they've got the four, the doubleheader Friday, Saturday, Sunday with Wichita State. What is the Sons of UCF prediction? What is acceptable? Uh, you wanted the sweep of Memphis that is, as Mike said on the pod Monday, that's hard to do in a four-game series over three days. Uh, I think three out of four win series. I agree. Win the series. Wichita is what twenty-two seventeen, ten and nine in the AC and the AAC. Yeah, you know, they're not. Uh, they're not as uh, maybe downtrodden as the Memphis squad was we faced last weekend. Give me a series win here. The, the back to 500, 22 and 22 for the men's baseball, obviously, or, the, or just the baseball team. Uh, and so this is the opportunity. Uh, let's let's get three or four here and let's see what happens next. That's right. I, I mean, you can't lose the series. That's for, that is for sure. Or else I'm going to declare the season over again, which I've done a couple of times in my brain. I haven't said it out loud yet, but uh, we got to win at least three out of four. Sweep would be nice. This team is better than the Memphis team. Just no ugly games. How's that? The game we had to open the series against Memphis last week, uh, we get run ruled at home. I mean, that, that You can't stand for that. He's firing coaches again. You can't get run ruled at home. Freshman Alex Freeland, the AAC Player of the Week, as you spoke of on Monday, the tough news, pitcher Colton Gordon, uh, your very reliable uh, first game starter out for the season, torn UCL and going to need that Tommy John surgery, which is expected to happen this week. So uh, wish him the best in his recovery. And that's going to be a long one in his recovery. I know you debuted it last week on the Sons of UCF Live, the new website where you can find all of the Sons content, uh, including your uh, interview with EJ Dunstan on Sons number 131. EJ Dunstan was a fantastic conversation. Uh, you know, come for the part about who did not block for him on his famous punt return against South Carolina. Stay to hear him uh, blasphemously talk about how many tacos he thinks he could eat because I don't think anyone's buying that. But EJ was known as the menace in the trenches. Uh, positive attitude. He's a guy that is uh, now a local high school coach in Orlando. Uh, he's an Orlando kid. And so he's got some great insight on UCF back when he went there and where UCF sat now as well. So make sure you check that out wherever you get your quality podcast or two nights media.com. He was part of that class, the freshman class that came in and won right away in 2010, won the Liberty bowl and then went out as a winner also in the Fiesta bowl. Very nice guy. Very good interview we did with him and a couple of nice stories in there too. Uh, my big takeaway from that interview is how he talked about as he's now in coaching that you can coach through fear or you can coach through love. And uh, clearly he reflects on his time under George O'Leary as a coach in Coach O'Leary who coached using fear as a tactic. And that's not something that he does. And uh, it was nice to hear how he talked about his players uh, and coaching them up. So, uh, you know, a great deal of respect uh, that you hear from the former players for Coach O'Leary, but uh, didn't always uh, enjoy playing for him, certainly. Yeah, I think, you know, there were some some undercurrents there of some some opportunities, I think, for, for, for him to express perhaps their coaching styles are a tad different. Uh, and I think we've heard that from from players in the past that O'Leary coached the guys hard. You know, was he the guy that you were going to put your arm around at the end of practice? Probably not. But I think that the mark of O'Leary, while he certainly had some things, um, you know, the, 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 the teams respect him. And listen, a lot of times if you're in a, in a certain industry, a certain business, as you grow in that career, 
you take good and bad from previous bosses, previous leaders, you know, you kind of, you kind of mix and match your own style. I think it's, it says a lot about EJ that he kind of recognizes what his strengths are as a coach. You know, I'm sure there are some tactical things that, or maybe some things he doesn't even realize he took from O'Leary that he uses today just are ingrained in him. But I, I think it certainly is the mark of a, uh, of a mature person, a self-aware person to understand what their strengths are and use those uh, for, uh, for their own styles and whatever their career might be. Hey, Coach O'Leary, we know he's an old school guy. He was born in 1946. He grew up in the 50s and the 60s. I'm sure that's how he was taught football. So that, that's how he ended up coaching. And it's not for everybody's style today, but that's what worked for him. And that's what he knew how to do. And Dunstan learned from him. And it, it, you can either copy what you, you were coached or go in the complete opposite way. And he's doing that direction. So both ways can be successful. What a Before random we, stat that Mike, Mike knows George O'Leary's birth year. What a random upset that uh, that's what he spouts out. Who knew? August 17th, 1946. Right? <laughs> wow. Look it up. Wow. Jeez. When you consider okay. that he knows that, but there's a whole host of other questions. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we close this one out, weather on the threes, Mike, what's the latest uh, from South Florida? <laughs> I still hear some scattered thunderstorms out there, but um, I don't know. I'm going to bed, so it doesn't really make a difference. I hope that charge on tour does not last past nine or the uh, you know <laughs> carriage will become a pumpkin or what have you. Uh, Mike, try and bring us back some video uh, of these um, grilling interviews that you do that we might be able to run on next week's Sons of UCF Live. Uh, good luck to men's and women's tennis. Uh, thanks for joining us for this one. For uh, Adam and Mike, I'm Trace Rolko. Go Knights! Charge on! Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.